This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And uh, we're looking at a beautiful uh, San Franciscan landscape here. You know, our thoughts and prayers are with everybody up there in Northern California. So I thought I'd, you know, uh, show everybody a little bit of the beauty that is of Northern California. And uh, Joining me today for this esteemed panel where we have a very interesting topic is uh, three gentlemen who have been on here before, but have a lot more to say. Thankfully, <laughs> keeps me in business. So uh, so with that, I'm going to go, uh, I guess, I can't even tell. I think it's counterclockwise. Okay. We got Jason Hirschman, private investor, uh, uh, Hudson 215 Capital, uh, at A-Track. Uh, you know, he's a man of many titles and also apparently a, a Golden Knights fan. Well, I mean, here in Las Vegas, right? We, uh, we beat Chicago. We're moving on to the next round. It's nice to have sports back. We need something positive in the city. I mean, we've got the heat and the unemployment, so we need something positive. That's for sure. Well, hey, I wish, I wish them the best. My team's out, so go, go Knights. Screw exactly. it. I don't, I don't even care. So, uh, Next up, we got Mark Tobin from Coffee Microcaps. Mark, what, what's going on? How early in the morning is it for you right now? I always know that this is a <laughs> – you coming on as a labor of love, so I do appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's 10.30 at night, so it's not, okay, uh, so not, not too, too bad. bad. Um, yeah, we're, we're all good here. The government lifted the alcohol ban midnight on Tuesday, so that's something to celebrate. Oh, that is that's, – that's like a – yes, it's about time. Oh my gosh. No, you don't have to go into your secret stash anymore. You know, that one stash <laughs> no. underneath the cupboard right there. Right. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the secret stash though was like drinking stuff that like my mother gave me like 10 years ago that has never been opened. And I'm thinking <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of booze I was starting to consider drinking. Brandy from 1975. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. oh, that's too funny. All right. Well, then, uh, well, I appreciate you joining us today. And then, of course, Stephen Keel. I, I, I haven't, uh, we're still deciding whether to officially make him a producer of the show. You know, we're just going by just show appearance count at this point. That's how you climb the ladder of producer associate yeah. to executive producer. But Stephen Keel from Marquitos Capital. What's up, Stephen? How you doing, man? Good, good to see you. Good to see all of you. So I think after five appearances, you get an ownership stake, right? So we're going to have to start bringing advertising here. Maybe we could have, um, I don't know, in, in, in meeting advertising, you know, placement, we'll get a Coca-Cola or something like that, or, uh, some sort of brand advertising. So uh, Mark, you can bring in, uh, you bring a, bring a great brand of coffee or something. <laughs> I love that idea. I think that's actually where we're, we are taking this. And, you know, instead of having a topic today, let's just have our, our own, you know, a panel board meeting, you know, to talk about how we're going to properly monetize this so that everybody gets a piece of the pie. So everybody has to come in with something that they're pitching. All right. So it could be well, a little it's, it's Bobby, it's your barber, your barber, you My know, barber. if you could share his name, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that would be probably a, a very attractive sponsor. 
Oh, he'd be, he'd be, <laughs> he'd, he'd be stoked for sure. That's, that's, that's for damn sure. All right, guys, to topics today, or to the main topic today. I think we had a lot of fun last week just kind of covering the one topic on, uh, on directorship and what it means to be a microcap director on, on, on a board of directors. I think today, Mark, Mark actually, he'd been wanting to talk about this topic a few sessions ago. We didn't get to it because there's just so many, so many things going on, so many topics. But today, we're going to be talking about insider ownership. That's, that's the main uh, 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 thing that we're going to be going on. So I'm going to throw it to Mark first, since he was the one that, that brought this up and wanted to talk about this uh, for this, uh, this panel. Mark, take it away, man. What, what, what fascinates you? What, what do you want to know? What should we discuss about insider ownership today? Yeah, I mean, obviously, insider ownership comes up a lot more in the microcap space because you have, you know, founders bringing through business from the, from the private sector to the, to the public markets. I mean, you don't really get it in, in uh, large caps um, unless you're somebody like Steve Jobs, I guess. Um, but... You know, in Australia, I find a lot of them microcap fund managers and small cap fund managers, like it's kind of part of their like marketing, I don't know, spiel that they give all the time in interviews. You know, what are we looking for in companies? You know, we're looking for insider ownership, like where we're, you know, we're like aligned with the, the management teams of this company. And it's that, look, I'll be the first to say better to have alignment than not. But I also think like having, high levels of insider ownership can actually be a deterrent um, sometimes. Like I find it, you know, you need to find a happy medium where yes, management and the board are aligned, but not where they're so entrenched that, you know, they think they know everything and they're not open to outside suggestions from their own shareholders or they're doing stuff that's in their best interests. Uh, but not maybe necessarily in the best interests of shareholders, either in the short term or, or the long term. Um, and I mean, uh, I don't know if Stephen and Jason know, but I live here in South Africa. And, you know, insider ownership is absolutely never mentioned here by the fund management community. I mean, we have, it's a very small listed environment. Look, you got about 350 stocks on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Australia is like well over 2,000. So, you know, it's completely different opportunity set but you know comparing the marketing of even the, the managers that look at small caps South Africa don't mention insider ownership at all it's like not it's a total non-event here um, so I'd be interested to hear you know from uh, the kind of US perspective and I guess Jason and Stephen's own experiences with insider ownership like you know when is it I guess my kind of question would be when is insider ownership bad yeah, and I mean, that's a good, that's an excellent question and something to think through when you think of being a minority owner, because we're passive owners, right? Unless we have such a large stake or an active, uh, some sort of active participation at the director level, we're riding along with what management and the board is doing. We may have no ability to change the board. And if we do have an ability, it would be, you know, sometimes it's just way too much, um, you know, just way too much work and way too much uh, pain to even attempt it. So, you know, the best investments are in the world are ones where we can just hop on the coattails and uh, they're already doing well. We love what management's doing. We love what the board is doing and we're just here to cheer them on. Those would be the best investments. If you get into a situation though, where there's a control position from another, uh, whether it's a manager, whether 
a founder, director, whatever the case may be, outside investor, and it's to the degree that they don't want to interact with you in any way, uh, provided that you're giving constructive feedback or constructive conversation or just information gathering. If they don't want to participate because they don't have to because of that large stake, I mean, if management doesn't, doesn't want to participate because of um, a large stake where they view you as someone who's unimportant as an investor, uh, that could be a problem. It's not a problem if you agree with everything the man, you know, everything the company is doing, and and uh, you just want to, you know, give them a high five every once in a while. That's not a problem. But those are ideal situations that are relatively rare, and especially early on the idea sourcing and discovery period, we're actually trying to learn about the company. If they don't engage with you, that really does make it difficult. And I, I obviously, if there's a large stake out there, uh, held by a director or founder or whatever the case may be, and that's the reason they don't engage with you, that's when it becomes a negative. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would add that, you know, insider ownership, I think it's one of those, those, those topics and, and uh, that's kind of like baseball, motherhood, apple pie, right? I mean, on the surface, no one's ever going to argue against them. Uh, but when you, you know, dig down into it, it's not as great as everyone just, just thinks. I mean, sometimes you have to look, particularly in the microcaps, right? You have a, a, a large, usually a founder or someone else who's a, a large owner, uh, and you know maybe paying themselves way too much uh, to treat like you know, to treat the company like a piggy bank, and there's really no effective way to to change their behavior, uh, and it's, it's very frustrating that as an investor, right? I mean, what do you do with companies like that? Uh, a lot of times, the thing just to do is just to stay away from it, uh, despite it you know supposedly theoretically being aligned, uh, but basically. A lot of times you have a, a when you're aligned, it's actually a management team who's lining their own pockets, right? So it's not the not the kind of lining you want, uh, which is, can be very frustrating. It's tough. I mean, without naming any names, there have certainly been some private equity guys who've taken over some public companies that have no regard at all, and these are larger companies as well. They have no regard at all for any of those minority shareholders, and you know that's it. It's that's tough because. I mean, for me, honestly, it's best to just stay away in those situations. You want in an ideal world to have insider ownership, to have that alignment. But in the case, you know, when Mark, as Mark has indicated, in the cases where there's not that alignment because they just don't want you to be there, <laughs> they don't want any other investors. Uh, I mean, I think we could probably say someone like Michael Dell, right, <laughs> over and over again. Um, he just doesn't want the other investor. He's using you for, you know, using the passive and outside minority shareholders uh, for his own benefit. And we saw several transactions through the years. I'll mention him just because that was, you know, a very large example. And I don't think we're going to get sued or anything about that. But yeah, <laughs> going private, coming back public, using the tracker stock, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Several promises along the way that were all broken, in my opinion, um, that were all broken. You know how do you how do you uh, how do you invest alongside someone that there's not alignment in that case even though he's a large shareholder in the company. Yeah, I think I mean there's a I don't know if it's a phrase in the U.S. but it's definitely a phrase in uh, in Australia and you, you you tend to find it in the microcap space. They're like uh, a private company that just happens to be public. You know it's it's you know, the, the shareholder or the board and the management are kind of running this business. Sometimes it can be a lifestyle business, as Jason says, you know, they're, whether it's high salaries or, 
you know, high director's fees or whatever, you, you know, they're managing their remuneration to the benefit of themselves from probably an end tax uh, point of view. Generally, that doesn't result in like kind of dividends coming back to yeah. coming back to shareholders. Um, and I mean, in terms of optimum levels, it's something I've like tried to observe over the last year. It's something I've been thinking a, a lot about in the last year. And I've kind of formed a heuristic with no kind of empirical evidence, but I kind of find true kind of performance of the companies that are going. If you have an insider ownership, I would say above 15%, but kind of below 35%, I kind of find, I have found anyway in my own personal experience that that's kind of the sweet spot. Less than that and, you know, management are, they're definitely still in there, but I, I don't think it's a large enough kind of weight. You know, sometimes the, the value of their stockholding is actually less than, you know, what they're getting paid as like the CEOs at that kind of below 15 level and above 35 then they start treating it like as it's their own company now if they are the founder i mean you know it essentially is their own company but above 35 where you've got you know maybe the chairman the ceo one or two others it's quite tightly held in in, in amongst four or five of them and they own 65 70 percent then it's just like you know we're the kind of brains trust and you guys you know it, you can sit here on the sidelines and you know but we're really not going to pay any attention to any suggestions you get so for me i don't know 15 to 35 just seems to be the sweet spot um and i'm not sure from if you think back on some of the investments you guys have made you know down through the years i'm not sure if the kind of insider ownership fell into that sweet spot or not yeah, I mean, I, it's, 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 yeah, I, I, theoretically, I, I agree with you, uh, you know, Mark, it, you always want sort of, you want to be able to still uh, have some kind of outside or shareholder, some pressure, some oversight, right? Not, on the other hand, you still want the, uh, the, the management team to have a, a, enough uh, skin in the game, right, to really make a difference. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, above a certain level or below a certain level, you know, a notch, you know, 35, 45, you know, 25, uh, it doesn't really make a difference. I mean, just to be honest with you, let me just take a, like a specific example, and I'll mention the company that, that I own, right? I mean, a big position of mine is this company, Expel. It's been a great microcap run uh, stock. It's, you know, in the United States. Whatever the, whatever the adjective better than great <laughs> is what it is. <laughs> that is an incredible, congratulations on that, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah, yeah. Incredible it, investment. Right. And uh, absolutely. Congratulations. Yeah. The thing is about that, I mean, we have like a, a CEO who's a, a fairly young guy at the time when he actually bought, bought shares, right? Probably owned about 5% or a little bit more than that 5% of the company. Um, and you have a, a director's, number of directors who really own, you know, close to, you know, like 35, 40% of the company, something like that, right? So, I mean, they're in that, that spot where uh, you know, really, they really, they're so close to being 50%, you really don't have to take that much outsider guidance. Uh, on the other hand, you know, they're, they're doing a bang up job, right? So you, you can't really, I mean, these are important like guidelines, but they're not like hard and fast, like, you know, I think, you know, zero one rule. I'm not saying it is a hard and fast yeah. rule, but yeah, it's just a heuristic I said uh, is from yeah. what I found over the last year. 
Yeah. So what do you what do you do, Mark? Like not only is like is insider like ownership, but sometimes you see like insider transactions, right? I'll go back to Expel, right? Some directors now are selling shares that they haven't sold shares for in quantity for years. So how how do you? I mean, it's it's a corollary to like insider ownership, right? It, whether they become bigger owners or or, or 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 shrink their position, how do you how do you think about how those those moves from directors and managers? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It really is a tough one because in Australia they're viewed very badly. Like selling by insiders, you know, um, you know, is viewed very badly by the market. They think that um, obviously the management team know more than the the shareholder and they're selling ahead of some bad news and i think empirical evidence you know even in academic circles would say you know um insider selling is generally uh, a negative kind of signal to to the market and always true in terms always yeah you see this is i i don't think always i don't think always i think if you have, um, you know, I often say this to, to microcap companies that have um, uh, large insider ownership stakes, you know, would you rather own 50% of a $20 million, you know, market cap company, or would you rather own 10% <laughs> of a $200 million market cap company? And, you know, sometimes you just need to get that liquidity into the market to kind of get you know, things trading, you know, the volume attracts more people, you know, it becomes like a virtuous circle. Actually, the, the high level of insider ownership is actually holding back um, people entering because, you know, the slightly institutional guys, you know, they can't get set. Um, it's too illiquid for them, um, but it can like bring them on a bit if you, if you like let go of some of the stock. And I think if it's well managed, well communicated, um, I think it can work well. I mean, on a, on balance, fund managers, institutional guys in Australia anyway, don't like to see insiders selling. But in some cases, I think it can actually help the stock. And, you know, selling down by a fund manager or, sorry, insiders is not, you know, the only mechanism to improve liquidity. I mean, one of the companies has done really well in Australia. Um, over the last couple of years, they've been like dividend paying, but they've gotten uh, their dividend reinvestment plan underwritten. So, you know, for the people who take up cash, that gets underwritten by a broker. It goes out in a line maybe to an institutional guy just to kind of get him set or to some other um, retail guys who, you know, want to increase their exposure. And, you know, over the last three or four years, they've grown the, the share count on issue um, and improved the liquidity without any of the kind of major shareholders and stuff having to sell down to increase the liquidity. I was... It, it's a it's a much more long term strategy, but it's, it's turned out to be a very successful strategy. Yeah, I, I take a really completely qualitative approach on this. Uh, I think to to Mark's earlier point about what level would be ideal empirically, great for a screening mechanism uh, to try to find out which pool you're going to fish in, for sure. Uh, but then you know all the work and all the fun is looking at each individual company and determining trying to make a judgment and determination of that decision maker and of that insider owner and of that management team. Sometimes it's an activist investor or something like that, or a, a director that kind of controls the situation, may or may not even be the chairman, but that, that's the person who has the, inside, uh, the large, large insider ownership. And same thing with buying and selling. You know, some uh, 
directors and some managers seem to always time the market well on both buys and sells. And we don't, especially in micro cap, small cap land, we don't always have the luxury of a you know, 10 or 15 year period to look back on to determine that. But there are certain situations where you can see that and it goes back 20 years. You think I get John Malone or something like that buying into something at a particular time. Not so much an indicator right now, but 10 years ago, it really was. And if you can find just a couple investors who are also involved in management or as directors, uh, they're, they're, they're great to follow. And you can trade in and out in some of those stocks or increase or decrease your positions based on that. Uh, but all, you know, for the most part, it's, uh, it's a tough, a tough uh, go to determine it. And, you know, you are, even on qualitative things here, you're, you're making decisions on the edges and you're trying to do the, the best you can with the information you've given. And you have to remember with some of these small caps and micro caps, not to say that Mark was specifically talking about that, but, uh, you, you know, these, sometimes these directors, these are not independently wealthy people, you know, that stock ownership might make up a real significant uh, part of their net worth. And they have day-to-day -day bills. You know, they've got kids to put through college. They've got houses to buy, you know, a new house to buy or something along those lines. And, you know, sometimes Forces selling down a position is nothing more than that. What's that, Mark? Divorces to fund. Divorces that's a, that's a common one in Australia, seemingly. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes you can find that information out, and that's the kind of the qualitative approach where, you know, there's some uh, there's some digging you can do, and something you look call the person up. Sometimes they take the call and they'll just tell you. Doesn't mean you have to believe what they say. <laughs> Always take that with a grain of salt, but doesn't hurt to ask. I mean, that's our job. We're detectives, right? Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I, I've known, you know, like uh, companies where there was an insider selling and, and, you know, at first you would think, oh, my God, why are they selling? It wasn't even a big amount, right? But you, didn't, you find out, like, they're not independently uh, wealthy and this is their opportunity to go on vacation abroad, right? And they need a little bit of cash. Uh, and, you know, I think as, as, in, as, as investors, we're always like, well, they should be saving 25% of their salary and therefore not have to sell any shares, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in, in the real world, you know, people, one reason why people invest or have shares is to liquidate them and do things, they, you know, have certain experiences in life, right? Right? Like traveling with your family. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's, especially in the microcap world, it's so qualitatively driven, right? It's really, you know, it's, it's better to, like you said, you know, call up and get the answer. Now, one thing I really dislike is like seeing like, like a number of directors uh, like a director who's like on, on four, like director of four or five companies, particularly in the microcap world, right? Uh, and like always dating on like every company he's on, like pretty much boom, whenever those shares vest, um, options vest, that really annoys the hell out of me. Uh, and, and really sort of, you know, for better or for worse, it infects what I think about the company. Let me ask you something, Jason, real quick. Uh, you know, you mentioned Expel. Um, don't give the price, but what was the time period where you first made your, your first purchase of Expel? Uh, uh, so yeah, I'm say this for in the market trenches, but okay, Jason. No, do just uh, don't go into detail. I, just <laughs> I won't, I won't go into detail, but, but, but honestly. I, IPO, uh, uh, I think. Uh, Two years, three years? I mean, I, 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 I uh, let's just say this. I had um, 2,000 shares in, uh, in like the end of December, 2015, like when they got, sued um and then and obviously a lot more now um so and 
Yeah, let me yeah, let me the, just, the average price. The average I'm gonna tell you the average price is 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 a dollar twenty four. Yeah, so so the reason I and I don't necessarily need to know you know your your new financial worth uh, net worth from this position, but, <laughs> but the point I wanted to make was you know look maybe Jason wants to go buy a yacht right he wants to take some of his expel earning you know winnings off the table and go buy a hundred million dollar yacht or something like that now because it's been such a great you know obviously exaggerated thing but this is what happens when you have a company that was a manager a founder you know they busted their asses for 30 years and uh you know they sell they sell some of their shares because now they they you know they can't take it uh they can't take it to the grave right no, um, I, I, think you're, I think you're exactly right i mean I, and i'll be like very specific i mean you know you know, it's always been, uh, you know, I, I only have like one house. It's the same house I've lived in since 2000, right? You just continue to build upon it as the last no, 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 That's right. It's, just, it's 20 stories high now. No, but, but uh, you know, it's always been a, uh, sort of a, uh, you know, my wife and I have always bounced off getting, a, you know, another apartment someplace else or, you know, a couple of, uh, or a summer place, you know. At some point you say, it's not just about my dream, it's about, you know, like my spouse's dream too, right? So and you have people with directors and managers, I mean, they're married. If they want to stay married and not have to liquidate for divorce, they got to consider their spouse's uh, thought, you know, thoughts and desires too. So you could see, I mean, and this is a perfect example of that, you know, to, to kind of what Mark said that, you know, look, Jason might sell some of his holdings, right, to live, live life for a bit. Uh, you know, you can't compound. It's great to compound it for a hundred years, but you know, enjoy life a bit, right? At some point, um, that doesn't have anything to do with what the future of, of Expel means. You know, I mean, if he sells a few a few shares to uh, buy a condo, to you know, one, one day we'll be able to travel again, and him and his wife can, you know, go overseas and live in a condo in Costa Rica or something like that. Um, you know, as an outside investor, I, I'm not an investor, but if I was looking then at Expel and saying, well, Jason. You know, he knows the company better than anyone else. He's been involved for a long time. He's done really well with it. Um, he's sold some shares if somehow that becomes common knowledge in the public space. What am I supposed to do as kind of outside passive shareholder who's looking to Jason, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this doesn't, doesn't really mean about the company. Yeah, so I think this comes back, sorry, just to come back on, yeah. on Stephen's point, you know, about the, the quality of and like doing, the, doing a bit of research. Um, yeah, I think how they got the inside, you know, in, insider ownership is like an important thing to try and figure out. You know, is it, as you say, a 30-year founder where like his insider ownership is sweat equity that he's like built up like from the ground up when he like started the business or she started the business? Or, you know, have the new CEO come in and, you know, bought shares on market since he became CEO, let's say, seven, eight years ago. He's continually, you know, buying uh, buying his buying his stock on market or is it you know options at like ridiculously low strike prices that they got as part of their incentive package or what you know so i think understanding where their insider ownership came from is also another like uh i guess bit of research that you know not a lot of people do to figure out like well how did they get to the you know because some ceos actually become one of the largest shareholders from you know ridiculously like structured incentive programs and you know five years down the line suddenly they're like the third biggest shareholder and yeah. you know when they came into the business day one they had nothing and they could be you know not performing uh, that great now the board are kind of stuck with this guy um, and yeah I don't know about Jason um, buying a yacht <laughs> for, for, for use in the middle of the desert it definitely does something 
Like I you would spend a lot of money at the lakes. There are some great lakes nearby. So to Jason, there's, there's a big swimming pool in front of the Bellagio that I could just. Put in. <laughs> but this yacht's going to be bigger than that for sure. And uh, just remember where you came from, Jason. It's great to great to be such close friends with you through the years. And I <laughs> okay. <laughs> the problem with living in Vegas. Thank God, God for COVID nineteen. Because you could imagine how many drinks I'd have to buy people just coming into town if not for COVID nineteen right now. So uh, so. Uh, just joking, but, Remember uh, the thing about yachts, it's always better to know somebody who has one than own one yourself. This is true. <laughs> Which is why we're all now Jason's best friend for the... Wait, the, is that, I, yeah, I can is already that see... Oh, what would be the name? Wait, yeah, right. Hold on, Jason. We need. This is an important topic. What would, what would be the name of the... Like, if you were to actually get that yacht, would it would it be... Exp no. I think it would... I, I, don't, I don't... I don't... I don't... I don't... Honestly, you know, I... I, I Jackie Mason, there's an old you know, Jewish comedian named Jackie Mason, right? And he always said, there's no bigger schmuck than a Jew with a boat. And <laughs> I think I would, I would qualify <laughs> as that. You know, we're desert people, right? I, I'm not, not water people. Uh, it's true. I, li I live in a valley, so okay, that's close. That's right. Close right. No, no, you may, someday you may see me in a Porsche, but that's, that's a land vehicle. <laughs> Are you not a contrarian? Can you, do you describe yourself as a contrarian investor? Just on this one issue in life, you can be a little contrarian as well. We'd, uh, we'd support that. But no, I, I mean, look, to this, to this topic, it's a great topic because you do want insider ownership. You do want alignment. And the, the goal for us as outside investors and passive investors is to see just because there is insider ownership does not mean ergo, you know, there is, there is alignment. And the fun part of the research is determining if there is and not outsourcing our commitment or due diligence to an insider who we happen to, you know, respect or something like that. You know, that's, that's step one in the decision-making process or maybe the idea sourcing process. And then there's steps two through 10 to determine if we actually like the company, if we like it at this price point, if we can build the commitment to own it over the long term. Uh, and so that, that alignment is, depending on maybe for me, it's kind of a necessity. It's not in 100% of, of the cases, but it's something I really, really want to have in investments and to the line of necessity. But there are a lot of companies out there that have insider ownership that I, I want no piece of. Let me ask you a question to you guys. Uh, when you talk to like managers who don't own a lot of shares and you ask them, you know, what, what stops you from maybe going into the market, buying some shares or, or building an ownership position? What are, what are some of the answers you get? Because there's always the 62,000 excuses they seem to have, right? I mean, uh, you know, why they, you know, anything from their kids' uh, college education fund or, or to uh, that, recent, that recent sixth divorce, uh, you know, there just always seems to be a reason why some guys just don't own enough shares. Uh, yeah, I, I can take it. I mean, uh, when I'm at AGMs, not so much the CEOs, I generally find they have it because they've got it through their incentive package or something. But I call out directors at AGMs if they don't own shares. Um, and you do get that. Some of the, I guess, newer ones, maybe. Um, but you do get directors who don't own shares. I mean... I called them out. I say, you're a director of this company, but you don't own any shareholders. And like, why is that? Um, and, you know, specifically put them, uh, put them on the spot. Um, I would say in Australia, it's very rare that the CEO wouldn't have a shareholding in the company. Um, now, whether that's through them being a founder, through them getting it through uh, 
an incentive package or they've like bought on market at, at various times in, in the past. I would say it's very, very rare in the microcap space in Australia not to, to see or not to be uh, sure. How big now is, is a different question. Um, but sometimes you'll find directors that are in there that, that, that don't have a shareholding. And, and I constantly call them out with AGMs of why they don't. Um, and a lot of the excuses are the exact ones that, that Jason just said. You know, they like parrot off something about... Um, you know they're going to do something, or you know they've recently had divorce, or yada 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 yada, whatever it is. But, the and, best answers you know, are the I, honest ones. I mean, sometimes these guys and women they don't realize they're not sophisticated. They're not really outside investors in other companies. They're not. You know, I would not call them quote unquote investors, so to speak. And they'll just tell you, you know, well, look, I'm getting uh, I'm getting board fees. I don't you know, I don't need to buy anything in addition to that or, you know, whether it's cash or whether it's shares, I'm getting shares for the board fees. I don't need to buy anything else. And they say, well, I mean, what, why did you come onto the board then? And, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, I mean, I was friends with the CEO. Why did be onto the board? It's like, okay. <laughs> These are like politicians that are way too honest, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, some of the funny ones are things like that. And then the CEO too, you know, he'll say, well, I'm not getting paid enough. Uh, and so I don't have enough excess excess uh, funds to to go out and buy shares as well. And uh, sometimes I've had, I've had a director say, "Well, I don't know that I really understand the company well enough." To it's like, "Well, you're the audit chair. What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> so the best answers are the honest ones. And think about the most outrageous, honest answers you can get. I've gotten some of those uh, asking because I mean, just like Mark, I that's one of my favorite questions. You call up uh, one of the one of the directors, especially the lead director or chairman or um, or, you know, coming to senior management and forget about, this is the next step of it. The CEOs, especially for smaller companies, they have come up generally as salesmen. And so it's really difficult uh, to tie them down to something because they have a lot of enthusiasm. You know, they've got a lot of, of, uh, of great content and things like that about the company itself. And they always have a reason. They always have an answer. The ones to talk to though, are more of the COO and the CFO. And that's where I actually like looking for insider ownership and purchases as well, because typically those people, uh, you know, obviously not across the board because some CEOs are great, but typically the COO and the CFO, they know what's going on day to day. They know everything. They're not salesman type people on the COO on the operational side, the CFO on the financial side. And if they're making acquisitions and it seems from your own research that the company's reasonably priced or maybe maybe longer term margins are increasing, revenues increasing, you think there's a beginning of a long runway there and the CFO then, then goes out and buys some shares. That's really interesting. And sometimes those people will give pretty honest answers to you as well. Uh, they don't sugarcoat it like a CEO might. I'll just, uh, just add that I think Stephen, I think you're exactly on the right pathway in the sense that I think CFO is in some ways with a better tell than the CEO in terms of like insider trading and transactions because everybody's watching the CEO's actions. Not as many people watch the CFO if he sells a little bit and the CFOs in some ways, they're, they're much more numbers people, right? Honestly, sometimes they have a little better savings ethic uh, than, than, than some of these salespeople, CEOs. Uh, and and uh, it's really interesting when they buy and it's still somewhat interesting when they sell. I mean, obviously there's a good reason, number of reasons why people can legitimately sell. Usually there's one good reason why people buy though, right? You know, they want to make some, some money. It's, it's, it's except for the, like the token buys and some, 
One good reason. Too. One good yeah. reason. There's a bad reason too, is that they want to manipulate the share price. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. You, there's usually a history to that that you can see though. And it's sometimes, you know, if there's not a history of kind of these buying and selling, then that's probably not a company that you want to rely on the buying or selling from those individuals. But oftentimes there is a history. Right. Yeah. I, I, I got, I have one, I have one quick question to ask, you know, when let's say you see a director or CEO go in and let they buy, right? Cause I think more or less what I'm hearing is when you see a sell, you know, you kind of can think to your, you can come up with excuse, whether it's a big, a big amount, a small amount, kind of like, all right, let, let's try and understand this better. But the thing that I always find interesting is when you see a buy, but it's not a significant buy, you know, it's like $2,000, like it's, it's, you know, pittance when you compare it to what they're making, you know, whether the CEO or director, what they're making from a cash perspective on a, oh, my baby's going nuts right now. And, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's almost like pittance compared to what they're making from an annual salary. So, I mean, what do you guys think about that when you go and see like, you know, kind of a, like a, like it's like a buy, you know, it's like, not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not much, but it's almost like they're kind of like, Oh, look, I did a buy, you know, like, what do you guys think about that? I love the sound effects, by the way. I think we should add, add more sound effects. Uh, I'm having a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Um, you know, I, 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 well, one thing I think that, that, and it's not just in terms of insider buys or, or sales, and I, I can't do the sound effects properly, but um, you know, these managers aren't, right? They know what outsiders, investors are, want to see, right? And so, you know, some of them are more than willing because they know it's a, like people use it as a device, right? To make these little buys, you know, in the market, right? Uh, you know, hopefully because they want their, their stock price to go up for, for whatever reason. Maybe they have to do a secondary or something like that. So I think you have to be, uh, particularly if you're seeing like to buys, with a crappy balance sheet, <laughs> you should be a little just do a little extra homework. Yeah, I think on, on those small buys, I'd agree, I agree with Jason. It's usually, there's, to me, it's a, like a, not a red flag, but it, it, it's like, you know, volumes are a little low, you know, we need to get like kind of volume up. Maybe they're getting close to some index inclusion or, you know, they wanna, you know, get the price up a bit because they're thinking about doing, you know, a secondary offering for whatever reason. And, you know, the fact that they even buy, you know, generates news flow, like, it, you know, shows up on everybody's screen and, you know, it gets the name of the company in front of people. Let's be honest, you know, it comes up on people's screens. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, the, the small ones, as you say, if they're like two, $2,000 here, they're considering the CEOs, like, you know, taking home like quarter million bucks a year, it's like, to me, it's a, it's a, not a red flag. I don't know. It's, it's, can, can we downgrade from a red flag? A baby red flag, maybe. <laughs> like an orange. What? An yeah, orange, yeah. Yeah. You uh, know what? To that manipulation point, uh, think of, again, allegedly, but think of Tesla and Elon Musk, right? Elon Musk made all of those insider purchases in certain people's opinions. They were manipulative or attempted to be manipulative, but if we would have followed it in, we would have made a lot of money. <laughs> well, there's always the, there's always the exception to the rule for sure. So maybe we have um, to find really good manipulators 
and ride along. I mean, this is not a fundamental analysis or anything like that. It's not anything that we do, but this is a different world. It's 2020. The world is uh, turned totally upside down. Fundamental analysis is much less important for this short-term time period, I think, than in the past, where you have the market rewarding people who, uh, who some people think allegedly is manipulating their stock um, with those insider buys. And, uh, and they're still working out pretty darn well for those, uh, let's call them traders, not investors. I mean, just going back to AGMs as well, another question I love to ask is um, to the directors is how they actually came up with some of the like prices that these uh, stock options and warrants and whatever are set. And you should see the look of fear on their face when they have to try and explain the mathematical formula and valuation of like how they actually came to that number. Um, it's a really, it's a really great question to understand like how rigorously the board has even thought about the CEO's um, package. Um, because, I, you know, the, one of the last eight GMs I was at last year, um, you know, the, the CEO, I won't name the company, the CEO uh, through her husband, her family, whatever, she owns about 56% of the company now. And, she, and she's getting paid to CEO, sorry. And she's getting this huge, in my mind anyway, um, like free option issues on top of it to like incentivize her. I'm like, she's the CEO. She owns 56% of the company. How much more incentivization does she need to like, to, to make the company? And like the, the stock was trading, like I think it was, call it like, well, I'm going to buy it now from, but let's say it was like a dollar, dollar twenty, and like the, the strike price of the options was like ten cents. It was like the minute she got him, they were like in the in the money. And I put it to the like lead director, just walk me through like the conversation and the and the and the mathematical kind of formulation of how you arrived at this like uh, strike price, and like why does the CEO need more incentivization considering she owns fifty six percent of the company. Yeah. Well, sometimes those, those are great conversations because then you can know that's not a company I want to be involved in. You know, you want, what you want is the extremes. Those that are extremely and egregiously bad, good to know because you don't want them to hide it. And then you say, well, I want no part of that. Those that are egregiously good in some way, you know, where, where they don't give themselves like, you know, if that, that, that uh, CEO owns 56% of the company, doesn't pay a salary, doesn't get any options, nothing. Okay, good. That's, that's really a nice one to look at on the other direction. Uh, somewhere in the middle is where it gets tough, though. And oftentimes the answer you'll get is, well, we hired a consultant and the consultant advised us to yeah. do this and plausible deniability. And there's no additional explanation required, you know, from the perspective of the director that you're asking that. <laughs> Mark, let me ask you a question. I mean, those are some, like, that's, that's a pretty egregious Yeah, I mean, why even go to that? I mean, are you ever, are you thinking of like shorting that company? Because how would you even get to the point where you say, I want to go long with these people, unless you're just looking for a trade. I'm uh, just wondering, like, how, how do you use that information for anything that's, how do you monetize it, really? Yeah, um, I think, you know, the the company is actually performing pretty well, to, to, to be fair. So this is like the tricky one for me is like, uh, on an ethical basis, like, I'm in like complete disagreement with what they're doing, but on a performance basis, they're delivering, you know, their, you know, profits are up and revenue is up, you know, the, you know, the company is do is doing well, but, you know, to me, 
I, you know, it's it the, that ethical kind of bad behavior is, you know, going to manifest itself somewhere else uh, at some point. You know, if they're willing to do that uh, at that level, you know, I'm sure somewhere operationally down below, it's like going to kick in. And, you know, that could be in six months time, that could be in six years time. And you know you might have missed out on a great do trade. Do you own shares? Do you own shares then? And just use that to size your position, or do you just, or just just a, you know, in essence, just a curiosity kind of a potential car? You know, car weaving in and around, right? And three cars ahead of you, you just saying, you know what? I think that guy's going to crash. You sort of watch them rather than watching your own path when you're driving um, down the road. It's more. It's it, 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 it's definitely more for like sizing the position because I just think like. If you've got that ethics at the top, that has to permeate down through the business. You know, all culture comes from the top, um, and it's more about sizing a position. And sometimes it's like, actually, you know, I, I don't want to be here at all. And you know, it's probably got to do like a great run, and you know, maybe nothing will ever ever come of it. But it's right. it's more. And I think you know, if if you know. I was a shareholder before this kind of package came out for the for the CEO. She like you know renegotiated her contract or whatever, so I was already in there anyway. Um, so it was kind of like you know I'm going to call you out. Like this is this is not the normal kind of standard corporate governance, and you know somebody has to call a house. Uh, and you know the AGM is like. You know, for a very small retail, you know, shareholder, the AGM is your only opportunity to um, definitely get any face time with the directors, uh, independent in name, I would say, in this case only. Um, and, you know, that's that was kind of my motivation behind it. Have they made any change? Are they continuing to do what they're doing? <laughs> okay. This, this is my whole topic of insider ownership. So I said, you know, I've been thinking about this for the last year. It was a result of this AGM last year that has now, you know, you know, I don't dwell on it all the time, but it's definitely, it definitely caused me to reappraise the whole, you know, rule of thumb that insider ownership and alignment is good, you know, without, you know, kind of critically thinking, analyzing it in the back of the Stephen says, you know, Hey, look, microcap investing, all investing, it's all different shades of grey. You know, you're never going to find something that's going to tick every single box on your checklist, or you know, the, the perfect investment. You know, trading a P of three. Um, so you just, it's 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 what you can live with and what you can't live with, I guess. I mean, it's a it stock appreciation. Oh, sorry. No, see, it seems to me, I'm, I'm just a throwaway line, but it seems to me like we spend a lot of time going to uh, AGM talking about the size of CEO's packages, which is a little, it's a weird way of phrasing it perhaps, but uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it seems like, uh, uh, I mean, but did you, would you, but one, one other thing, and it's just a corollary. Okay, say, that was a paradise joke. Yeah, yeah, I know, I, sorry, the quality joke. But when you do it at the AGM, I think there is a lot of things to be said for talking to directors, right? And you do get a lot of information, but it's not talking about inside transactions, but just about the business themselves. Uh, sometimes that the, the CEOs aren't even willing to talk to, they're a little bit more used to to, to shareholders, right? Uh, that sometimes talking to these other individuals, uh, sometimes it's a little bit more revealing, I, I find. Yeah, I mean, I, I find AGMs very useful. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I have a big portfolio, I'm not attending like 60, 70 of them a year. Um, but I find them like very useful, talking to other investors that are already invested in the company, you know, they're 
kind of feelings on a research that David is actually a good way to meet other investors who are invested in the stock with you. Um, and you can kind of bounce, um, you know, announcements that come out from the company off each other or they've spoken to somebody, they've got the, uh, you know, an industry contact who's, you know, feeding back information that's, you know, not, it's not market or inside information, but it's, you know, relative industry information. Um, and yeah, and talking to directors as well, you can, I find they can, you know, give, it's like Stephen says, you know, getting away from the CEO marketing sales pitch, you know, they can give you uh, a different context to the, the kind of numbers that you're seeing coming through or, or like, or, or how the operations work, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different insight that's generally, I find in your, the rest of the year, it's a, it's a very hard insight to get because you can't like call up the IR department if they have one or if they've got an IR, hired IR consultant say, I'd like to speak to the director who's, you know, head of the audit committee, or I'd like to speak to the chairman um, who's like a non-executive chairman. You know, you just don't get, you just don't get that interaction as an investor throughout the year. Whereas the AGM is like the one chance to talk to people from inside the company that you normally never get to talk to. Right. You guys, I mean, Stephen, let me just throw a question to you. When you, these management teams that, that have low insider ownership, have low insider ownership, do you, that particular management team, that set of directors, do you ever see, I mean, what's, it seems so rare that they actually find financial Jesus and, and, and go a completely different, you know, direction, right? I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen, right? Once they go down a certain, you know, high competition, low ownership road, that's the way they're replaced or, or, or acquired, right? Culture, yeah, that's the culture they've created at the top and it trickles down. And I do think it has a negative effect all the way down to the first line worker who doesn't feel an ownership uh, in the work that they do day to day because their boss doesn't feel that, their boss doesn't feel that, the next boss is a CEO doesn't feel that, their boss is the chairman of the board, they don't feel that way. So it's a negative culture thing, top down all the way. And, you know, I just generally would avoid the situation there. It's too much, uh, it doesn't mean it might not be a great investment. I mean, you know, that's one thing or another uh, over short time periods, but is that a company you want to ride with for 10, 15, 20 years? Is that a company that you can build a commitment to own when the stock drops by 50%? It's tough to do. I generally avoid them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I think, yeah, and I mean, the, the, the other thing on insider ownership, I guess, is, um, you know, the, eventually it does, I find, tend to resolve itself some way, somehow. Um, so you'll have the founder will retire and they'll, like, decide to set out, as Stephen said, you know, spent 30 years. Now they're going to exit, the, put the remaining shareholding in some kind of, like, family trust and was go on the board and just kind of keep a kind of family stewardship thing of the business in there you know by and large they're you know nowhere near as big as they they once were and um, or you know they do very rarely have a come to jesus moment where they're like you know our stock price is like incredibly low um compared to our peers and um you know, they go, they go through a rocky patch and they like have to raise equity and they, you know, like COVID now is a classic example. Now 
you know, you've got some companies who've fallen from a, you know, a 25p to a 15. Well, if you were already at 10, you're probably gone to five and now you've got to raise money and like, now it's resolved itself because you're raising at such low prices. Um, so I generally find it does, there is something that'll kind of force the hand eventually. Um, or Stephen says, you know, that some like private equity guys will get a, a stake in there and through, you know, activists, work you know they can manipulate their shareholding with you know getting people on boards or calling egms to roll boards or roll ceos or whatever but you know i, I find it generally does resolve itself but the time period can be very long i think that i th i don't know is anybody have any final thoughts on this because i other, otherwise i think i think that was a pretty good way to end it what do you think yeah, that's great. So, so insider ownership, good, <laughs> not always good. <laughs> yeah, did we answer the question, Mark? I don't know if we were very helpful today. Well, definitely not uh, me, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, I think, the, I think the best answer I think came from from Stephen, if I, if I'm honest, you know, is is it, you can screen for it, but then you got to dig a bit deeper. You know, I think you got to investigate what is the the insider ownerships, I guess, behavior. Uh, you know, they have this, you know, 40% stake and how do they view minority shareholders? Are they there, you know, for the good of all shareholders or are they there for the, for the good of themselves? So I think, you know, it's a useful thing to screen for, for, definite, for definitely, but I think that should be a jumping off point for, to like further research then with back into that to see you know, is it somewhere you want to be? Is 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 this insider ownership ownership you want to be aligned to? Yeah, I mean, ironically enough, sometimes it's 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 like it's like a support pet in some ways, like you know, like a high like you know insider owner. If you have like your own stake and it's a position, important position, insiders hold on to their stakes, help hold on to your even even if you shouldn't. Somehow it just it just helps out a little bit. So in some ways, uh, it's it's you know, it's kind of like you know a little bit of emotional support keeps you you know when it's thundering and raining in a bad storm it keeps you calm. So I, in ways it's it's a great thing just that. <laughs> yes, I think you've just uh, you should write a write a book now or an article immediately. You've uncovered another bias for investors to try and guard against. <laughs> so we've got recency bias. Now we've got like insider ownership. But another bias that investors must try and uh, mentally counteract. Coattail bias. <laughs> Coattail bias. I think that's going to be the name of this episode today. Insider ownership. Did we just create a new bias? I think, that's it. I think that's it. All right, dudes, everybody. Wait, let's call it the Tobin bias. The Tobin bias. <laughs> there you go, Mark. There you go. You write that article, write that book. All right, guys. All right, guys, let's go around. Please let everybody know where they can go and find more information about you, follow you on Twitter or, or any kind of social media. Steven, let's start with you. Uh, yeah, Stephen Keel. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Stephen underscore Keel. Uh, I've given uh, the spellings uh, previous weeks, so if you don't know it, go back and watch last week's episode. And we just released a quarterly letter through Willow Oak Asset Management that I definitely encourage those to read. We're uh, talking about kind of the, the long-term future of the business in terms of providing operational support to small and emerging fund uh, managers. 
think it might be interesting to some of the viewers and listeners here. Uh, so you can find me at willowoakfunds.com and also the fund I run, which is arquitos.com, A-R-Q-U-I-T-O-S. Very good. Mark? Uh, yeah, probably best place to find me is on Twitter as well as um, C Microcaps. That's capital C Microcaps are as um, I have an investment newsletter that runs on the Substack platform. So just look up Coffee Microcaps on Substack. And Jason, close us out. Okay, well, you can find me at 8Track180 on Twitter. You can find me at Microcap Club, uh, where I uh, host a lot, or from now and then at least. And if you're not a Microcap Club member, or then you're missing, suggest you go ahead and try and join. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Everybody should go and subscribe to Microcap Club. It, it is a great resource. So with that, everybody, I just realized that holding my arm like this, it looks like it's kind of floating the whole time, but I there, there's no magic trick. It's, it's just a, it's a chair. It's, you know, like my hand's not gone. It's just, it's a chair. But anyways, thank you all for listening today. This is, I really enjoyed this panel. Um, you can go and follow the Investors Roundtable on our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash SNNWire. Again, my name is Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And um, thank you all. We'll see you next week. Good seeing you guys. Thanks, Thanks Bobby. Always a pleasure.